You are listening to the Thursday check-in episode of In Love With The Process. How are you? My name is Mike Petchy. This is my show. Welcome. A lot of new listeners right now. Numbers are up. A lot of new folks. A lot of, lot of new followers on Instagram. I don't know what it is this week, but I had a lot of like new people come in. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow me over at Mike Petchy at Instagram or follow the podcast at In Love With The Process pod on Instagram. Hey, everybody. How are you? What's new? What's going on? How's life? Um, if you can't tell by the sound of my voice, I am still recovering from my East Coast adventure. I went back to Boston, uh, well, actually right outside of Boston, for a wedding. My good buddy got married, um, and uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was uh, kind of like an industry wedding to a certain extent. There was a bunch of folks from the business there. There was a bunch of other directors and, you know, the deal. You hit a certain point in the night, you have some drinks, and the next thing you know, we're all sitting around, we're talking movies. We're getting deep into films and what's out, what do we like and what we don't like and what's going on and the state of the industry. And, uh, you know, I got really excited talking to my buds. Um, they're listening. They know who it is that I'm talking about. And, uh, I uh, came back from the East Coast, came back from like this sort of adventure that I went on and um, got back to work. I'm very excited. I'm like deep, deep, deep in prep right now. I am uh, taking on the role of cinematographer for uh, a couple of uh, Gina's videos next week, um, which is very exciting. I'm in the process of trying to source some old school lenses and we're doing some pretty interesting stuff with lighting. Um, I will keep everybody informed as we go through it. Um, and as I uh, talk, you know what I want to talk about on today's catch up, really? And I was asked to talk about this on the show by those of you on Instagram who saw one of my posts. Um, everybody wants to talk about blonde. Now, if you don't know what blonde is, blonde is the uh, supposedly, it's not really, it's uh, a Marilyn Monroe biopic on Netflix right now, directed by the amazing Andrew Dominic. I've been a big Andrew Dominic fan for years at this point. Um, and so I had seen the ads for this. I had seen some of the social media advertising things on this. You know, I think everybody saw, um, what's her name? Uh, Anna's Anna de Armas plays Marilyn Monroe in it. I think we all saw her post on how, uh, you know, people were going to be posting the nude scenes from this the wrong way on the internet. <sighs> I've talked about this before. I feel like a big part of what happens for advertising for movies these days is people or the studios or the people that are promoting these movies understand the veracity that social content has. Um, and so uh, a lot of times you'll see a post like that where you feel like that's just an attention grabber. That's just a click grabber uh, to get people interested in the movie, which I'm sure it did. You know, it works well. I mean, the reason why they do this stuff is because it works so well. Um, but this movie in particular is a very interesting case in all of that. Um, it is the, is it the first? It must be the first NC-17 rated film for Netflix 
which is fascinating in itself, right? NC-17 used to be uh, like basically a death warrant for any movie that had it because theaters wouldn't program NC-17 stuff. Most theaters, most theater chains wouldn't do that uh, because why? They wouldn't be able to fill as many seats, right? Can't get in there if you're uh, under the age of 17 at all, period. Like you could sneak in. (laughs) There's a level of like... There's a level of leniency with R-rated movies, but if it's an NC-17, you're just like, mm. And the only thing worse than that is X, right? Because no one would program an X. Maybe back in the 70s when they had adult theaters, that's where you would go watch X films. Um, so does it really make a difference if it's NC-17, if it's already going on Netflix? Because everybody subscribes to Netflix anyways. It's not like you have to pay for some specific uh, plan for Netflix to see NC-17 movies. You know, so it doesn't really make a difference. It's interesting, right? Um, and I don't know, because I, do, do they even have some sort of like childproofing? I think you have to actually set the childproofing if you're a parent and you have Netflix, right? You have to go through the process of setting that up yourself. I don't think it comes clean that way. I know Disney Plus is doing that now, where you actually have to enter in a code to actually watch it because some of their stuff is stretching the limits of what you know, the Disney audience can accept, you know. But I don't think they do that on Netflix. I think Netflix, since the beginning, has always been sort of pushing those boundaries with how intense a lot of their sex scenes have been, how intense their themes have been, all the way since House of Cards, right? So is it really a big deal that this is NC-17? And then when you're releasing that news, when that when that goes out there, is that part of the draw? It has to be, right? It has to be part of the draw for this. I mean... This film stars one of the most, uh, one of our current most gorgeous sought-after actresses in Hollywood. Somebody who um, is being put on that pedestal. Being put on the same type of pedestal to the same, eh, not as like archaic, not as like aggressive as it was back when Marilyn Monroe was out there. But it's still the same kind of game, right? Where we're using sexuality to boost the career of this actress and she's uh, a fucking talented actress. I, I've, I've loved Anna uh, in Knives Out, obviously in uh, Blade Runner. Um, and she fucking kills it in Blonde. She's fantastic in Blonde. And I've had some friends that are like, yeah, but what about her accent? Get over it. You know what I mean? She's a performer and she's killing it. She is completely um, captivating and a spectacle to see on screen Um, and (laughs) with her clothes on. Okay. (laughs) Let's be real about it before all the advertising and like these new things are going to get leaked and this is going to happen. And, and for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet, those of you who have just been reading the articles and the blog posts about how terrible this film is and how uh, terrible it uh, ruins the history of Marilyn Monroe. It doesn't live up to, um, you know, all the great things that she's done in her life. And then uh, here's an NPR headline. And these things are still going strong. This film's been out for over a week. And this is like a headline today. Blonde finds all the ways to punish Marilyn Monroe, right? Was Marilyn Monroe really in a trope with Charlie Chaplin? And uh, what's the other kid's name? Let me see here. Let me click on this. And this is Men's Health. 
Look at all these like clickbait articles that are kicking around. Men's Health has an article, NPR has an article, US Today, Marilyn Monroe, abortion controversy, is blonde uh, portrayal accurate? No, it's not accurate. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Vulture magazine, a psychic talks blonde, Anna de Armas, Marilyn Monroe's ghost. This is all clickbait. It's all fucking clickbait. And this film has created such a controversy because of how aggressive it is, because of how um, explicit it can be at different points. And uh, I've had a lot of friends ask me, like, what do you think about Blonde? And and the consensus is, I mean, right now it's got a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 5.6 on IMDb. The consensus that I hear from anybody in our current climate, in our current social climate, is this movie's fucking awful. That's what I hear from everybody. How can this boot movie be made? This movie is terrible. It's terrible towards women. It's terrible towards Marilyn Monroe. It's awful, right? And this seems to be a very simple narrative, not only for marketing right now, but also for our culture in general, right? Because everybody has been wound up to be triggered this way. What do I think about it? I think it's a, a gorgeous movie. I think it's an absolutely gorgeous film. I think it's uh, one of the most uh, captivating movies that I've seen all year. Um, surprisingly, I would compare this to Baz's um, Elvis bi- biopic that just recently came out, which also was another really insane, captivating movie. And there was people that loved it and there were people that hate it. I think anytime you pick um, uh, one of our mythic gods, one of our mythic American gods from our culture, whether it's Elvis or if it's Marilyn Monroe, you're always going to have a divided audience, right? You're going to have the folks that have created their own vision of who this celebrity is in their own mind and and what this celebrity has done to their lives and how it's affected, how he or she has affected their lives in specific ways. Like, I love Elvis. His music was the song that was playing when my husband proposed to me. Or Marilyn Monroe has always been uh, a symbol of uh, strength for women for me. And it's she's always been who I want to like grow up to be right? Like, that's what these folks become. We put these people on such ginormous pedestals. And there is the, um, what's the term? It's sort of like the spin engine that runs around them, that creates these stories, that 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 uh, creates all this sort of false advertising around these icons to build them up. I mean, look at Marilyn Monroe isn't her name. It was a it was a f- false created name for this character, for who she was playing, for who they were marketing. I mean, she wasn't even a true blonde, right? They, they changed her hair color. She was completely crafted to be this person. And the same could be said for any of these sexualized celebrities that we become obsessed with. And you have to ask yourself, Why do we care so much? What is our obsession with these folks, right? We see these big, bigger than life, shiny, shinier than than anything that you can buy personalities on screen, on photos, on magazine covers. And do we want to be them? And like when you first see them, what is our first feeling? Like, 
oh my God, look how gorgeous she is. Or, oh my God, you know, I'd like to sleep with her. Or look at the way he moves his hips. Like, oh, I've never seen that before. And it's so sexualized. It makes me feel so good. Do you ever notice like just the cycle that we go through as a culture when we interact with these folks, whether it was like Britney Spears' first music video where she's dressed in the schoolgirl uniform going down the hallway and being overly sexualized? Like, I mean, how many, <laughs> to be crude about it, how many boners did that give like teenage boys, you know? And then we go through the process, right, as a culture where we uh, suddenly get over that. And we are like, well, how dare they do this? And it, and oftentimes it's because that artist is slightly changing how they're doing something or the campaign's changing a little bit, or they pick a film differently. And it, it's not aligning with how we first felt when we saw them, how we first reacted to their presence. And so now it starts to change a bit. And us as a culture, us as an audience gets really irritated with them, right? And then we hit this point where we want to pull these things down because they're getting so much attention. Every time you go to the grocery store, their face is on every fucking magazine. Look at Jennifer Lawrence is a great example of this, right? She was like America's fucking sweetheart, America's sweetheart, right? And then we just sort of hit this point where we had to tear her apart and tear her down. I bring all this up because I think the blonde is a fascinating study of us. It's not necessarily a study of Marilyn Monroe. And if you watch this film, it is not completely factual. It is more of a fever dream. It's more of a poem about celebrity. I honestly think that this could have been a movie called Britney. I think this could have been a movie called Anna Nicole Smith. I think this could have been a movie uh, called Elvis, which already was made. You know, it's fascinating to see how people that get to a certain popularity, people that get to a certain follower amount, people that get to a certain point, what they give up to get there, what they have to do to get there. And that's, you know, part of our sort of documentary porn culture that we have right now, right? Like if you wanted this to be a true doc on Marilyn, well, might as well just put it on Hulu with all the rest of those docs or on Netflix right now which are just in that sort of doc porn culture, right? Where everybody wants to see the rise and fall of their celebrities in a safe sort of, you know, calculated and predictable structure, right? You hear the voiceover stuff, you see the credit stuff, and you just sort of, they all line right up. Like you could take any of those Hulu docs on, on celebs and then just lay the timelines on top of each other if you brought it into an edit station and all the beats are the same. Boom, 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 boom. It's safe. It's what it feels. This is what we like. And so I think when a lot of folks saw the trailer for this and how gorgeous um, Anna looked and how gorgeous the footage looks, I mean, there's plenty of trailer bait as far as visuals are concerned in this movie. I think when everybody watched that, they were like, wow, this is an elevated version or this has the potential to be an elevated version of that same documentary structure that I'm comfortable with. The same documentary structure that I've seen uh, in all these other biopics. Um, take me down, plug me in, and take me down this dopamine rabbit hole uh, where I get to reaffirm why I love this celebrity, why I love this character. And then, to a certain extent, uh, feel bad for them, feel feel bad for what has happened to them, wish that you could have saved them from it, 
And then at the end of it all, feel better about your own life, right? Because even though uh, you're not a celebrity, even though you didn't make all that cash, at the end of the day, you're better adjusted, right? As a human being, you just feel better about yourself. You ever notice that when you watch documentaries, that's kind of what you emotionally go through for stuff? Uh, it's kind of the deal, right? And so this is not that. <laughs> this is absolutely not that. Now, why I like this film so much is that it breaks that structure completely. And if you go back and you watch any of uh, Andrew Dominic's other movies, he is known for taking mythic characters, taking like modern day uh, gods, Greek gods, essentially, and uh, sort of doing an emotional study on what could have led to the reason why they, they had their demise, right? Look at Chopper, his first film. Amazing fucking movie. Amazing way out. Uh, Eric Bana is in it. Chopper tells, let me read uh, the descriptions, because a lot of folks don't realize who Andrew Dominic is. A lot of you listening are younger listeners. Go back and watch Chopper. Chopper tells the intense story of Mark Chopper Reed, uh, a legendary criminal who wrote his autobiography while serving a jail sentence in prison. I think this was Australia. Don't quote me on that. His book, From the Inside, upon which the film is based, was a bestseller. So uh, he is basing this on a book, and he is uh, going off the rails with it a bit when you watch this film, and he is allowing his performer, his lead, to emotionally uh, be immersed in this thing, but also take us on this really crazy journey. Um, this was a great breakout film for him. I think this movie is what put Eric Bana on the map. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch Chopper. All right, um, let me skip ahead here. He also did a, a film, a gorgeous film, uh, called The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Amazing movie starring Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Beautifully shot film. Um, and here's the bio on this. If you guys haven't seen it, Robert Ford, uh, who idolized Jesse James since childhood, tries hard to join the reforming gang of the Missouri outlaw, but gradually becomes resentful of the bandit leader. It's fascinating. It's really interesting. It's sort of like this study in, once again, how we process our heroes, right? This character is processing this hero, and the hero isn't living up to what he thinks he should have been, or what he has created, sort of this, this idolized version of who he thinks Jesse James should be, and he resents him for it, and ultimately does some stuff to him, breaks him down, tears him down, right? Sounds like a movie about us. It's interesting. Um, so then another film that I really love from him, amazing movie, is Killing Them Softly. Once again, starring Brad Pitt. And it's a fascinating gangster film that is an anti-gangster film. Uh, it feels like the antithesis of Martin Scorsese. It's beautifully shot, gorgeously done. Um, and it also stars the late, great Ray Liotta. Um, I'll give you the bio on this. Jackie Kogan is his name, is an enforcer hired to restore order after three dumb guys rob a, a mob-protected card game, causing the local criminal economy to collapse. This is an interesting... Um, it's, it's packaged as a gangster film, but it's actually a movie about the U.S. economy. It's fascinating. It's really cool. 
So this is the guy. This is who's directing Blonde. Okay, so if you go back and you look at the history of him, you know he's not a shock director, right? You know he's not doing things to, to freak you out. You know, this isn't Antichrist, okay? This is a guy who obviously likes to study how we, the public, deal with these issues and likes to take stuff based upon books, because Blonde was based upon a book that inspired him, and sort of go further down the rabbit hole of emotion behind these characters. Like, who is this woman who ultimately committed suicide? The the most sexy woman, the most sought-after woman, the most successful woman in the industry. You know, how did she get to the point where she would kill herself with drugs? Now, there's a bunch of different rumors. There's a bunch of different conspiracy theories out there on whether or not, uh, because of her relationship um, with the president, John F. Kennedy, uh, there were rumors that she was pregnant, maybe she was pregnant, um, and they killed her because of it. Rumors. If you, uh, there's some interesting articles out there with Andrew Dominic. Let me see if I can read you a few of them. Um, let's see here. Stand by, stand by. Here we go. Dominic says people shouldn't be surprised that Blonde portrays Monroe's life as relentlessly unhappy. It's the story of a person who kills herself. It's also the story of a person who had everything that our culture is always screaming at us as that is desirable, he explains. She was famous. She was beautiful. She had a glamorous job. She dated all the cool guys of the day, and she killed herself. Okay, what do we all want? And what should we want that to be? So he's obviously obsessed with these things, which I find fascinating. So at this point, what you're doing is you're bait and switching the audience, right? So you're saying to the audience, hey, come and watch this movie on Marilyn Monroe. But then you're, you're actually telling them a story about how we, how we uh, basically kill these people. Blonde is very, very difficult emotionally for me. This is from the director. And even though I knew that Marilyn would die at the end, no, I'm sorry, this is the writer of the novel. Um, let me make sure I get this right so I don't fuck this up. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. I want to make sure that I get the name of the uh, author right. Okay, so Joyce Carol Oates. Blonde is very difficult emotionally for me. And even though I knew that Marilyn would die at the end of the novel, I didn't realize how, when I got to that point, I would be so identified with her. This is the writer. There's no way to accept what happened to Marilyn. I can't make up an ending where she's happily married or she runs away from Hollywood. I mean, I couldn't make all of that up. The film version of Blonde is the first Netflix production ever with an NC-17 rating. So this is me reading this article. So that's how they're advertising it, by the way. Uh etc, etc. So what was the other thing I wanted to read to you? Stand by, guys. I'm sorry I'm a mess. And Andrew Dominic. The director says the novel provided a richer source than any nonfiction could. A documentary could tell you what happened, but I think that what the film and the novel are really dealing with are what is the meaning of Marilyn Monroe? Why is that woman on the subway grading uh, the sort of American equivalent of Venus in the shell, 
uh, rising out of the sea? And what does she inspire in us uh, that she continues to have that kind of um, resonance? Dominic adds, our culture obsession with Monroe stems from a rescue fantasy. Let's see, this is interesting. We know that she's doomed, but we can't save her. Uh, Oates felt it, uh, the writer, when she had written. Uh, she had written 23 uh, novels since Blonde. It was published in 2000, and she says her Monroe story was the most wretching novel that she ever had to write. A wrenching novel, rather. Um, so that in itself is interesting. Now, I didn't read all this before I watched the film, okay? I put the film on clean, as clean as I could. I had heard a bunch of like sort of the social media marketing, which honestly turned me off to it. I really didn't pick it up again. I really didn't get into it until I, st I talked to my other filmmaker friends and I didn't realize that Andrew Dominic had directed it. My other filmmaker friends were like, Dominic did this. And I went, oh, fuck. Okay. So this is more than just like, hey, uh, Netflix's first NC-17 movie. Hey, uh, people are going to post my nude scenes. It's going to be weird on the internet. All that kind of shit. It was more than that. It was like, okay, there's an artist behind this. Got it. So I watched it, put it on. First thing that captivates me is obviously the way it looks. They have painstakingly recreated sequences based upon the looks of her famous photographs. And it's gorgeous absolutely gorgeous. If you want to talk about cinematography, I'm going to try to get the cinematographer on the show. I think I'm talking to him right now. Um, just the craft that goes into this film, the, uh, the amazing lenses that they shoot with, uh, the way that they light these things, the uses of, of uh, formats. So they shoot this movie both in widescreen and four by three. Um, the use of zoom lenses, the use of like insane back focus pulls. It's amazing. Uh, and then the really trippy, almost Terry Gilliam style use of VFX to distort faces and dis to distort audiences. And if you're a Dominic fan, his slow motions are epic. I dare say more epic than um, Zack Snyder slow motion stuff. I mean, because... Dominic's just, they flow like glass. They, they are so smooth. And they're not just there for spectacle. They're somehow introducing us to an emotion and then in slow motion, pulling us into that emotion, right? Bringing us deeper and deeper into that fear that he's creating or deeper into that obsession that he's creating. He's a fucking master, a master at this. Now, uh, there have been some articles that have been dismissive because folks have been angry with him as a director. And they're like, well, the cinematographer does a great job. Yes, the cinematographer is amazing. But the hand, the craft, the control that comes from Andrew Dominic on this movie is stunning. And the choices that he makes are so different and edgy, all the way down to sound design. There's a sequence in this movie, spoiler alert, there's a sequence in this movie where Marilyn's riding in a convertible through Hollywood with um, two of her friends or her lovers, right? And they're driving. It's quiet. You just hear the wind in the car, and their score is created by the sounds of the radios of other convertibles as they drive by. And you, so you hear sort of like this operatic thing go by on the left side. You hear this orchestrated thing go by on the right side. It's beautiful. It's beautiful beautiful. 
soundscape is, on this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. The other thing that I find fascinating about this is because of the source material, because of these photographs, because of the way that these photographs were originally shot, there was a, I'm going to fuck it up, but there was a quote from a really great musician um, who said that she decided to stop doing music videos. Oh, I wish I remember her name. She decided to stop doing music videos because she got tired of having to look at the camera with the expression of, please fuck me, right? And that's the expression that you get from most of these pop stars, most of these celebrities. They give you that come hither look. They give you that, uh, I am uh, dealing with uncontrolled lust. Come and take me look, right? Think about it. Look at all of our stuff. Go back to the Britney Spears bit. Go back uh, even further at any of our, you know, Playboy icons. Look at any of like Cindy Crawford. Look at any of the stuff um, from our childhood that sort of sets that apart and makes that a thing. Now, currently they're trying to change the narrative on that, but it's still there. The Kardashians, right? It's still there, you know, and it doesn't matter who's on screen. It could be a male or female, or it could be, um, you know, a gender-free person. They all hit a point where the most successful images have that formula, which is like lust, lust, and I'm looking at you. I'm looking to the lens. I'm looking to the audience. I'm connecting with you. So because that was the source material, this movie replicating those things creates such a strong sense of connection with Anna. So you're watching this movie and you feel that connection. And what does Dominic do? He loads that connection with sadness. Sadness. So she's crying the whole movie. <laughs> the whole movie. And if she's not crying, she's trying not to cry. And he sets this up. Spoilers. He sets this up by showing her childhood, by showing how uh, her mother um, raised her. And some of this is factual, some of it's not. He just understands that he has an opportunity here to tell this story, to tell how one of these icons uh, could have come up and how one of these icons is uh, adjusted and structured by the system to be who they are, which is flawed. How an individual who gets to a certain height will end up wanting to kill themselves. And we hear about this all the time, right? Anthony Bourdain, right? There's supposedly a new doc that's being released that his family and everybody is shunning right now, which is uh, supposedly based on fact um, but they're getting into some of the details of why he killed himself. So when you watch, when I watch this movie, immediately I'm pulled in by the craft, immediately I'm pulled in by what they're doing, and then I'm allowing myself to feel all of this. And let me tell you, this is not a feel-good movie by any means. It's not. And it's an abrasive film but I'm letting it happen. I'm letting it wash over me. I'm letting myself go through this. I'm letting myself empathetically feel what this character is going to go through. And they're going to put me and her through some shit when you watch this film. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And there are a lot of sequences in this movie that are explicit, but I think they're explicit for the right reasons. I really do. There is a narrative out there where um, this is just a film through the male gaze. 
I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it's a film that makes us uncomfortable. I think it's a film that makes the audience completely uncomfortable and not for the sake of shock value. I think he's doing it specifically to show us why these things could happen, why these things often do happen. And yes, it may not be uh, factually correct, but the movie's called Blonde. The movie's not called The Story of Marilyn Monroe. The movie's called Blonde. Now, it's interesting. I was reading an article on him trying to get this movie made uh, because he's been at this for over, what, eight years, 10 years. And when he tried to make this movie prior to the Me Too movement, he had trouble because uh, the studios, the financiers, didn't like the way the men were portrayed in this film, is what he says. And so he had a very difficult time getting it going. Now, what got this film going was the Me Too movement and the power of the Me Too movement and everything that's happening. And because that had changed, because suddenly people need programming of uh, women front programming, which was like the big mandate that went out, you know, because Hollywood, <laughs> let's, let's, let's be real about it. Hollywood isn't a, an individual that actually cares, right? They're just, a, they're a group of companies that are out there like, hey, um, we need to make as much money as possible and we need to take advantage of certain situations. So after the Me Too movement happened where suddenly everybody called out Hollywood, not only on being sexist because of that asshole Harvey Weinstein, but also uh, whitewashing and everything else. So right after I saw the list that went around to all the agencies and all the agents where they had a list for each and every network that said, we need this many women uh, leading programs, we need this much, blah, 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 blah. and it's because they, they knew they knew that they would make money on it. They knew that they would be able to do this sort of campaign. So this film was made because of that in that, in that time period. Now, the fascinating thing is, <laughs> is that this film would also piss those people off because it runs in the middle. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's strange. Let me just put it this way. I've watched a lot of quote unquote great films, movies that are rated high on Rotten Tomatoes, and I couldn't tell you uh, a scene from them. I just sort of ingested them. The same way I ingested an In-N-Out burger last week. I bought it. I sat in line for over 15, 20 minutes for it. I actually answered emails and did phone calls, uh, got my burger and my fries, and it was gone. It was literally gone in four minutes, max. I think it took me longer to eat the fries than the burger. I don't remember what it tasted like. Maybe there was a little bit of cheese that stuck to the roof of my mouth. It was done. And I feel that way with a lot of the content that I consume right now, especially the content that is highly rated right now. You just watch it and it's gone. And someone asks you, did you see that movie? You go, yeah. What was the best part? Um, I know that actor's in it because I saw him on the poster a hundred times. I don't know. I don't remember what my, I don't know. You know, the contrast here with Blonde, these scenes are so burnt into my retina. I know each and every one of these sequences. And I just, I just, not only do, here's what I love about it. It's not that I am like, hey, remember that part of the story? Uh, remember that story arc where this happened? It's like, no, no. Do you remember the way she looks? Remember that shot through the rose bush when she's talking to the fetus inside of her body? There was this fascinating vibe of that thing. And do you remember the way uh, she looked when she was sitting across the table from, uh, what was it, Joe DiMaggio that she was married to? Uh, just that sequence there, that was fucking fascinating. It's all 
visual stimulants. It's all emotional stimulants. Remember how you felt when she was in that scene with JFK? The most explicit scene in the movie. The, the scene that uh, guarantee got the NC-17 rating, which insinuates stuff. It's not like you see what she's doing. It's all insinuated. But what makes it so brutalizing is we're with her emotionally. We're right there in her eyes, and they do the voiceover, and we're right there. We're in it to win it with this person. It's fascinating. I think it's like a, if you want to try to even begin to understand, and I am not even pretending like I would, but I would assume emotionally, I was starting to really understand what it must have felt like to go to a meeting with Harvey Weinstein as a woman, as an actress, when you watch this movie. You know? Like there were moments where I'm in this film going like, fuck, this is it. This is why that bastard went to fucking jail. This is it right here. Fuck. So it did that for me. There were multiple times. And it wasn't like I didn't know prior to this. It wasn't like I wasn't like, well, you shouldn't do that. This is terrible. I just empathetically was put into the situation because the director did such a good job of bringing me down, introducing me to this little girl that was practically drowned by her mother in a tub. And the effect that uh, 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 out of wed, out of marriage uh, relationship and child that was born uh, affected this mother, drove her batshit crazy. And then just seeing that passed down to this child. Oh, man. The opening sequences of this film, brutal. And you sit there and you just go like, this is why this girl is broken. Now, this character is broken. Not saying that this is necessarily exactly what happened to Marilyn Monroe, but he uses the image of Marilyn Monroe to tell this story, to bring us into it. He wouldn't have got it financed if it wasn't Marilyn Monroe, right? If it was just a movie about some woman, no one would have given a fuck. You know what I mean? So it's interesting. Now, I know what I'm saying here is very controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial for controversial sake. The only reason I'm bringing this up on the show is because I'm constantly raging uh, on the podcast and on my Instagram account that we don't have like elevated uh, craft work in our content right now. It's sort of like slightly motivated, mostly inspired by something else, right? This film feels like elevated craft work, elevated directing work, elevated acting, elevated cinematography, elevated editing. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's telling a story that uh, really affects us as a culture because it's, it's actually calling us out on stuff. And it's making us feel like shit as an audience. But it needs to, narratively, for the movie, right? And I don't think that this movie needs to change the culture. I'm always, I always feel like when f uh, filmmakers or, or people that are putting out films are saying that this is the movie that's going to change our culture. This is the movie that's going to change. I, I, that's God complex shit. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Just, just make a great film. Make a great immersive film. And the thing that's fascinating is that this did come out on Netflix. So it doesn't need to make back millions and millions and millions of dollars. It just needs to get people to tune into the streaming service. So this film wouldn't, dare I say, wouldn't have been made if it wasn't for the streaming service, right? Potentially. I mean, the draw really is Anna de Armas looking like Marilyn Monroe. That's what gets everybody to tune in, right? Like I said, if this was a movie about like, you know, 
Nancy Jane who lives in, you know, the middle of Pennsylvania and she's just a housewife. That's a, that's another kind of movie, right? That's, that's almost like a lifetime film at that point, right? Who really gives a shit about that? Unless you put a really great actress in it, right? And then suddenly it's this, you know, film, but right. If it wasn't Marilyn Monroe, then you wouldn't have been able to tell the story. And I was so refreshed to understand when I watched this, I thought it was just going to be one of those fluff pieces that we cat that we constantly have thrown at us right now, right? Or documentary porn, as I call it, emotional porn, where they just go in there and they go, look at this star that we all looked at, and then let's tear her apart, and then let's feel bad for her, and then, hey, remind, your, remind you that your life is fucking great, like I said before. That's most of that shit that we see. So I was very, 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 very happy with this film. Um, I thought it was great, dangerous, fun, um, shocking, memorable. Um, and uh, I think it's one of the top movies for me this year. I really do. I really do. And uh, before you sit there and you go, hey, you're a guy, of course, guys like this. This movie, let me just be 100% <laughs> uh, transparent. This movie didn't turn me on at all. Like, there isn't a moment, like, this isn't, this is, <laughs> there isn't a moment, like, you have to be a psychopath to watch this film and be like, this was hot. This was like, I like this movie because she's so hot in this movie. This is, no, you have to be a fucking psychopath. I don't look at, at, at abused, uh, torn apart women with tears in their eyes, even though they're, they're topless and go, well, this is a hot sequence. I just don't. Like, you have to have trouble with empathy if you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So don't dismiss it that way. It's, I'm more impressed with the craft. I'm more impressed with the artistry that went into this film. So that's it. I, I'm going to try to get like the cinematographer on. We'll see if I could book. He, I know they're very busy. I'm going to try to get him on. I doubt I could get Dominic on, but I'll try. Um, he's already doing, I, he's already done such a massive press circuit. That I think by the time he would get down to me, he'd be like, dude, I am so done talking about this movie. So I, I get it. I'll just say this. If you ever listen to the show, you killed it, man. It's a great movie. Um, it's a wonderful piece of cinema. And I think that once our culture sort of progresses past where we are currently, which is uh, very sort of uh, angry and uh, dealing with trauma as a culture right now, we're all dealing with trauma. The timing of this piece, I, I understand why it was able to be made because of all of that stuff, but the timing is off. Uh, give it some time. And I think that people are going to look back at this and go like, holy fuck, this movie was gorgeous right? So that's it, man. That's what I, my thought on Blonde is. If you agree with me or disagree with me, um, leave me some messages on Instagram. Let's talk about it a bit. Um, tell me what your favorite parts are. Tell me why you think it's terrible. And, and if, you, if we're going to get into a conversation, like hit me with some, some real, try to be as unemotional as possible about it. If you could, like hit me with some like real interesting stuff. Um, and uh, I'm curious about it. I really am. And this is what I like about great cinema. When you put out films that make you think, that make you process your own life, that make you process how you see things, make you think about how you're interacting with people, um, there's a lot of stuff that is in this sequence that made me think back and go like, have I looked at celebrities like that? Have I ever looked at a woman like that? You know, what have I done for this sort of thing? You know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's great. 
Uh, it's definitely not the type of movie that you want to put on on a Saturday night with your girlfriend and you guys just want to chill. <laughs> and other news, um, I have been running a contest with Indie Pro. Those of you who don't know who Indie Pro is, I'll give them an ad read right now. Indie Pro is the one-stop shop for all your power needs, your pro video and DSLR cameras. As I continue this ad read, we have a contest that we ran with these guys, and I'm going to tell you who the winner is at the end. Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount batteries and chargers, battery adapter plates, regulation cables, and many other unique power accessories. These solutions are compatible for most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. Located 30 minutes away from New York City, Indie Pro manufactures and assembles many of their power solutions in-house, giving them the ability to customize all of their power solutions to fit their customers' needs. Uh, we here at the podcast are offering a special discount, 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com if you use the promo code LOVE20 at checkout. Again, 20% off IndieProTools.com, LOVE20. Now, I found IndiePro because I needed to get a power solution for my Blackmagic camera. I've got a Blackmagic 6K Pro, and I hate the battery system on that. I'll be honest. I love the camera, hate the batteries. And so I wanted to have a brick. I wanted to have like a gold mount battery brick, battery plate that went on the back of the camera. I'd stick it on the rails. It would not only power the camera, but the monitor that I would have. I, we got a small HD monitor and multiple other things, right? Loved it. Loved these guys. Uh, got into bed with them. They were like, let's do it. Let's do a contest. So I set up a contest. I put it out there a couple of podcasts ago. We talked about it. Um, giving away that whole rig that I have, right, from Indie Pro. So it'll be the battery back, plate for the back. It'll be a battery, a charger for the battery, all the cabling you need to power up a Blackmagic camera. I think it's like a 4K, 6K, 6K Pro. Um, all I did is I put it out there to you guys. All you had to do was go to Indie Pro's Instagram page, write them some comments, comment uh, that you liked the fact that they supported the podcast and that you wanted the rig, right? Bunch of you did it. So it's a hard choice to make. Um, I just went through and grabbed um, one of the fans that has been posting the most. And here we go. Right now, I'm going to try to read your Instagram handle because it's always tough. Adam Gradisher, Gradisher, Gradisher. So it's Adam, G-R-A-D-I-S-H-E-R. Now, Adam, if you're in the U.S., you got it, right? I'll drop you uh, an Instagram today and let you know. And uh, you got it, Adam. You win. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you so much for uh, being a super fan of the show. Um, what we'll do is I'll get your information over to Indie Pro and they'll send it to you directly. And we'll make that happen. All right? Um, and uh, here's, there's many of you out there that are going, oh, oh, mm, mm. Well, here's the good news. If you didn't win today, um, then you're still eligible for our next contest. And I'm staring at it right now. I have a Fuji, Fuji film camera here. Brand new. The new one's on the market. The one that we just shot, Gina just shot this bit for that, we're, that I'm going to release next week. I have a Fujifilm X-H2S 
and lens that I'm going to give away to a listener. Stand by, stay tuned. By the next episode, I'll give you guys the information. You're going to have to work harder for this because this is a camera. (laughs) I'm giving away a camera on the show, right? How much do we love you here? How much do I love you? Okay. So, yeah, that's on the horizon. Stay tuned to Alumble the Process. Plenty more episodes on the way. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, today. Um, And I'm just going to say this as a bit of a disclaimer. I've always said since the beginning of the show, I like to try to live my life in the gray. Not black, not white, live it in the gray. And as we get older, as I get older, it gets very difficult to do so because you've been put through specific situations and experiences where you're like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do this again. And so you start to define rules for yourself. You start to put up walls around the safety that is your life. And it's very abrasive. It's very abrupt to to try to bring yourself back to that gray matter, that gray area. And uh, I try to exist there as a storyteller. I try to exist there empathetically so I can look around and see how people are responding and reacting to things and how that works. Oh, that, oh, the Roomba's coming on. Gina just started it. So um, when I talk about blonde and I talk about all this stuff, I try to be as even as I can. And uh, I hope that you guys can check out that film in the same way. Don't bring politics into it. (laughs) All right. I can get out of here as the Roomba starts up in the space. (laughs) I love you guys. And as always, next Tuesday, new show.